Since the beginning, members of the NC Advocates for Justice have been raising their voices, speaking out on behalf of those who go unheard, joining their voices to oppose injustice and support fair treatment for everyone under the law. With this podcast, Voices of NCAJ, we'll listen to those members, lawyers and legal professionals who founded the organization, whose dedication and energy kept it going and guided it through growth, change and challenges. Each conversation will inspire us to meet the future with a unified voice that channels the strengths and accomplishments of our organization. Welcome to Voices of NCAJ. We recorded this episode as our fourth annual Women's Caucus Retreat was going on in the offices right outside our door. The noise you'll hear in the background is the buzz of women lawyers building their networks and making NCAJ great. Welcome to Voices of NCAJ. I'm your host, Amber Nimix. As Communications and Marketing Manager for the North Carolina Advocates for Justice, Part of my job is to train a spotlight on the people who make NCAJ great. Today, we're celebrating NCAJ's past and present with two great women, both of whom have the title of Executive Director of this organization on their resumes. Before I introduce them, let me share a few words about our podcast sponsor, our friends at Law Pods. Law Pods has made the whole podcast experience a breeze for us. They edit and engineer and make us sound great. They're a professional audio production company focused on helping lawyers make great-sounding podcasts. Sweat all the details so you can concentrate on the content. If you're thinking about podcasting, check them out at lawpods.com. So now we are celebrating NCAJ's 60th year, and it's March, so we are also celebrating Women's History Month. And I am here today with two history-making women. Judge Linda McGee is recently retired from the North Carolina Court of Appeals, where she served for 26 years, longer than any other judge on that court. Before that, she practiced as a trial lawyer in Boone for 17 years. In addition to her service as a judge, she also served on the State Judicial Council as vice chair of the Chief Justice's Commission on Professionalism, on the North Carolina Board of Legal Examiners, and the Equal Access to Justice Commission, among others. She received NCAJ's Outstanding Appellate Judge Award. And in 2019, then-Chief Justice Sherry Beasley awarded her the Friend of the Court Award. In 2021, she received the NC State Bar's highest honor, the John B. McMillan Distinguished Service Award. Judge McGee, welcome. Thank you. Also with us is Kim Crouch, who has served as Director of NCAJ since 2017. As our Executive Director, she manages the systems and staff of the organization, and supports NCAJ's mission to empower a strong community of trial lawyers across our state. She serves on the board of the North Carolina Equal Access to Justice Commission and on the Chief Justice's Commission on Professionalism. Kim, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. So since this is Women's History Month, I think a good place to start is with some historical perspective. Judge McGee, can you tell us how you came to be involved with what was known as the North Carolina Academy of Trial Lawyers? at that time. Yes, I'd be happy to. I had the uh, opportunity to interview with the organization back in 1973 when I was fresh out of law school, 23 years old, and I had just gone through two other interviews that were not quite as interesting as the one with the Academy of Trial Lawyers. One was um, uh, where a gentleman asked me how, how fast I typed, and I had a feeling that that wasn't going to go too far. 
The other was with a, a young woman who had just graduated from UNC Law School, and she was basically welcoming me to the city of Raleigh, and um, we became good friends over the years. And then, as I said, my most interesting interview, though, was with the Academy of Trial Lawyers. I um, found that the people that were interviewing with, with me were top-of-the-line lawyers. And the very idea of being able to work with them, even though I wouldn't be doing legal work, was an opportunity I was not about to miss. I was delighted to be called back for a second interview and uh, was given that special opportunity. Uh, Charlie Blanchard called and, and told me that I had the job, and uh, we had a collective amount of $5,000 in the treasury, and that I could take those funds and spend them any way I wanted to to get the organization's office running. <laughs> so I um, immediately was able to find an office space in the old Wachovia Bank building in downtown Raleigh. And I bought some used furniture, used office furniture, and I hired a woman named Mary Leonard, who worked with me during the entire time I was with the Academy of Trial Lawyers. And she and I started a basically a new business, effectively. I had the opportunity to meet with Gene Phillips in his law office in Winston-Salem when uh, he became president, and we decided the first thing we needed to do was put on a continuing legal education program and make certain that we could get through the rest of the year with our finances. <laughs> After that, we expanded the CLE programs tremendously. I guess maybe the first organization for lawyers in North Carolina that began putting on programs by videotape, and we would actually take them around the state. So we went from one program a year to about 10 programs a year based on being able to divide out the state and, and send the materials. I, as I recall, I took materials to each one of those locations, and we participated in a continuing legal education program, knowing that one of the most valuable services we had was the knowledge of the lawyers in the organization. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So uh, it was a few years later, Kim, when you became executive director, but uh, it sounds like some of the uh, same challenges were, were in place in terms of uh, getting, you know, keeping things going, getting things started. Yes. As I listen to Judge McGee, I'm reminded how most things in life come full circle at mm. some point in time. And yes, I think that we had, when I first came on board, it was 2017, June of 2017, and... It's funny because I had been in the legal community now for about 20 years, but I had been at the North Carolina Bar Association as the governmental affairs director for quite some time. And I was very familiar with many of the members and lawyers within the North Carolina Advocates for Justice. The academy had since changed names during the 1990s. And so by the time I came on board, we were known as the North Carolina Advocates for Justice. But I had been in this community. I knew that there were, in fact, a lot of top rated top-notch lawyers, as Judge McGee mentioned, that were engaged in this community and really, frankly, passionate and committed about justice and doing work for what I would call the little guy or gal in North Carolina. And that very much appealed to me. I um, fielded multiple calls, I will say, from Janet Ward Black. As I was listening, we had a um, forum earlier today, and she talked a lot about how when people call you, you can't say no, you need to say yes, essentially was <laughs> yes. the conversation, right, Judge McGee? Oh, yes. And so as I'm um, now thinking about your questions, Amber, and thinking about our podcast and what we're sharing as two folks that have been committed to this organization, 
I'm thinking about Janet Ward calling me and saying, Kim, I think you can do this job. I think you should do this job. And I want you to come on board as the next executive director for NCAJ. Wow. And um, how do you say no to that? Right. <laughs> exactly. Right. Yes. I tried. No, no, just kidding. Just kidding. No. Um, and so, um, so I said, yes, I said, yes. And now I've been here for close to five years. And like Judge McGee said, we continue to put on continuing legal education programs. Um, what she's talking about in terms of being the first to do the videotape series, I think we will now be the first to sort of launch into this podcast medium, uh, as far as I'm aware. And we will continue as an organization to remain innovative and dynamic in terms of what we're offering lawyers in this state. And so, yes, as I listen to her and think about where I currently sit and what we're currently doing, it really is interesting that much of it comes full circle at some point in time. Mm -hmm. We are actually in the middle of our um, fourth annual Women's Caucus Retreat, which is where where you guys were listening to each other right before we, we mm -hmm. started. And uh, it's uh, really exciting to to have all these women lawyers and together in the same room sharing this incredible knowledge. Judge McGee, when you first entered the profession, it was probably a given that you would be the only woman lawyer in the room. That was not an uncommon happening. That's exactly mm -hmm. right. Uh, when I was in law school, I guess we had about uh, something like 190 students in, in my first year law class at Chapel Hill. And out of that group, there was probably about 15 women. And so even in my classes, you know, it was not uncommon for me to be the only woman. I remember that I had one professor. We still had uh, Saturday morning classes. And uh, so I knew he started the year off asking me a question every Saturday morning. Well, the nice thing about that was that I just prepared for class best on Saturday mornings. The rest of the time, you know, I, I read, <laughs> of course, the materials, but I was certain to be, you know, well prepared on Saturday mornings. That didn't change, I don't think, for a number of years. Uh, the number of women in law school, though, of course, now, fortunately, um, continues to be an increase of um, making it a majority every year. We were talking in the program today, though, about the fact that we still have a relatively small number of women that are in the courtroom on a regular basis. But I think that, too, continues to increase, particularly with the support of groups like the the Women's Caucus here with NCAJ. The opportunity to go to court was a challenge at times because it was not uncommon for people to look at me and expect that I probably was a secretary from someone's office or, you know, the uh, someone from the clerk's office because that's where the two women's groups would be involved in the courtroom. But I was very fortunate. I worked in um, a small town. I practiced law in Boone. And the district court judges and the people that were in the clerk's office sort of took me under their wing and made certain that I was accepted in pretty quickly in the, mm -hmm. in the courtroom. Mm -hmm. So finding your footing as a woman in the in the courtroom when you were first practicing, that was a challenge that, that faced most most women at yes, that time. Sir. What do you think were uh, were the, the main things that helped build that community so that we have more women regularly walking into the courtroom? And and fewer being asked if they're the, the, the secretary. Well, other organization, in addition to the advocates that has been involved in assisting women to be have a better camaraderie with one another and be supportive is the NC Association of Women Attorneys. And I was one of the founding members back in uh, the late 70s. The organization has expanded over the years. And one of the things that we still do, though, is 
we try to focus on encouraging women to be judges. The uh, number of women on the bench, of course, increases all the time, but we want to make certain that the opportunities are there and that women are encouraged. So I helped start uh, a judicial division of the women lawyers uh, a number of years ago. And the main program that we present every year is at each one of the state's law schools. We have a women judges forum. And at the forum, we invite everyone to attend. But quite frankly, most of the people that do attend are women students. And it's an opportunity for them to hear the way that the uh, women panelists, who are all always appellate judges or trial court judges, how they got to the bench and why it is that they enjoy the work that they do and and um, how we can be supportive of one another. So that is one organization, in addition to the advocates uh, with their caucus that has focused on women lawyers. What are women facing today? Like the, I mean, clearly there's still some, you know, residual resistance to women being attorneys, although I think that the overwhelming number has, has just changed the tide. What are the challenges that, that women are facing today? So I think what we often hear now is work-life balance, right? I think that's what we hear often. And I think the pandemic and COVID-19 has uh, heightened the attention that's now being given to that. I do think, as Judge McGee was talking, I do think um, more and more women are joining the profession, have continued to join the profession. I think, if I'm not mistaken, uh, my class, 2005 at Chapel Hill, was the first class where there were more females than males in the class. Yeah. So we did. We have come a long way, uh, but I do think that that the next big chapter for women in the profession is going to be for women to be able to lean on other women, to continue to support other women, and and for for all of us to lift one another up. You know, the Women's Caucus, as Judge McGee just mentioned, is a perfect example of women getting together to support one another, to talk about challenges, and to promote one another. I would also say that I think many of our women, especially at NCAJ, are now beginning to, in fact, uh, branch out on their own and form some of their own women-led law firms, which is terrific to see. So I think certainly there continue to be challenges and residual effects, as you say, but I really do think that the future is very bright for um, the female population and for women women trial lawyers in particular. And I think we really, the biggest thing we could all do from one another now is to, in fact, support each other uh, and continuing to advance that cause. Mm -hmm. Great. And um, Judge McGee, you're still involved in these efforts, the Association of Women Attorneys, and obviously you're here with us at NCAJ. What what advice do you think you would give uh, a woman who has uh, graduated law school and is, is looking out for uh, for some career guidance? Well, one nice thing about, I think, the vast majority of women that go to law school is that they have already seen challenges. You know, they've been involved in um, opportunities that they've had to prepare themselves for. They've been leaders. You know, they've been active. They've been involved. They want to give to others. They already have had that kind of background. They need to be able to pat themselves on the back by about the things that they've already accomplished. Uh, they've gotten through law school. You know, they've passed the bar and they're out there ready to practice law. So I think they need to uh, feel proud of those accomplishments already. And the next steps that they need to focus on, though, are, okay, what's going to make me happy next? Is there an uh, area of the law that I found, you know, during law school or, you know, for whatever reason, is the a good fit for me, at least at this point? Mm -hmm. But they also, anytime you go into a, a new opportunity, 
You need to be aware of the fact that it may not work out the way you want it to. And if it doesn't, fine. Take everything that you could from that chance, uh, from the, the work that you were doing, build on it, figure out exactly what is the next step for yourself, and be prepared to move toward it. I'm not sure that when I started practicing law, we could have done that, perhaps. Most of the time, you went to a, a location, you went to a firm, you went mm-hmm. to a kind of work, and that's where you were going to be. That's not true anymore. And I think that is a benefit, though, uh, for, frankly, everybody practicing law, but particularly women, because there are different times in your lives when you have different demands and different things you want to accomplish. Mm-hmm. I think we're better at giving each other that, uh, that chance. Um, you know, if you want to back away from being members of an organization and involved, you know, for a period of time, for whatever reason, if it's uh, because you have a family and that's what you want to do, or it's because you just really want to focus on your practice, your ability to do the things that you want to do for other people well, then fine. You know, we ought to be able to say, all right, when you're ready to, you know, step forward and, and um, do more in this organization, we'll be ready for you. Uh, I think that's a, a change in circumstances that, that's positive for everybody involved, and particularly women. I would agree. I remember coming up in the 90s in college, it was, you can have it all. And I think now in 2022, you hear the message, you can have it all, just not all at once. Mm-hmm. I think that that, and I think that that over the past 20, 25 years, the discourse has changed around the expectations um, there. And I think it's a very positive thing. Right. One thing you, you mentioned, uh, Judge McGee, was that women lawyers have already accomplished so much and they need to be able to pat themselves on the back. Mm-hmm. And that's something that in a recent trial briefs uh, article or column, Kim, that you, you talked about having, uh, you know, finding that. And how do you realize that, yeah, I'm, I, should pa- I should pat myself on the back and lean into this? It's difficult. I, I think sometimes it's easier to say than perhaps actually implement upon, right? And I think typically women are not always, we just talked a little bit about this in the Women's Caucus Retreat, that women are not always so good at at portraying self-confidence and and expressing themselves in a way of sort of saying, yes, I am legitimate, I am important, and I do matter in this discussion right now. We oftentimes sit back. On the flip side, I think sitting back perhaps lends itself to some real opportunities for us to sit back and listen and absorb and collect. And as they say, timing is everything, to use the moment in time to then engage and to then share your expertise and your wisdom and your opinion. And so I, I think... I don't know that I'm necessarily answering the direct question, but I do think that I do think that confidence and competence and resiliency and just an overall sheer uh, desire to speak up and to have your voice be heard is important. And I think you're seeing more and more women being willing to do that, but you're also seeing um, the population and the changing times. Uh, folks seem to be more and more willing to do that. And frankly, there's mediums like this podcast. And like social media that offer folks the opportunity to have their voice be heard in ways that perhaps just weren't there 20 to 25 years ago. And so I think for all of those reasons, it's just like you said, you know, lean in, continue to lean in and continue to speak up and use your voice to accomplish what you believe is important and what you believe matters for yourself, for your family and for the clients you represent. Well, you know, the Academy and, and now the Advocates has always done a good job in recruiting young people men and women, uh, to, you know, be involved, you know, in, invite them personally to the different committees to work on or invite them to be on a program to, you know, provide and share information. I have to share an experience with you. 
When I was with the trial lawyers, I was going, as I said, around the state, you know, when we were putting on programs around the state, and I would try my best to call one of our leaders in, in an area that we were going to and ask them, you know, who's a young lawyer in your area that we could have become involved in this particular program? And um, one of those people that was recommended to me invited that person to introduce a speaker. I mean, that's what we one way that we could get them involved was they could come and they could introduce a speaker. That person introduced the speaker. That person later on um, in his area, he became a city council member. He later became president of the NC State Bar. And to me, more importantly, he became my best friend and my law partner for 17 <laughs> years. That's Tony DeSanti. You just never know what opportunities are going to be available to you when you're involved with an organization. And, and it grows uh, and it extends and it, it uh, adds to your in, enjoyment of your practice of law. And you're able to do those things that so many of us went to law school for, and that is to help other people. Mm-hmm. Wow, exactly. So one last thought before we leave. What is it that you, uh, that you hope for NCAJ going forward um, in terms of women or in terms of like what the organization needs to take on? What's your... What's your hope? Relevancy. Relevancy for this organization for many, many years to come. You have such a tremendous group of members and trial lawyers and committed, passionate, dynamic people trying to make a difference for the state of North Carolina and its citizens. And my hope for NCAJ is that we will continue to stay ahead of the curve, continue to recognize the changing landscape and continue to find ways to be bold enough and brave enough to make the changes we need to internally within our structure to remain relevant for the future. Wonderful, wonderful. That seems like a great place to leave us. Um, I appreciate you both. Thank you so much for being here uh, for Women's uh, History Month, for Women's Caucus Retreat Day. Judge McGee, Kim Crouch, thanks very much. Thank you, Amber. Thank you. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Voices of NCAJ. For more information on the North Carolina Advocates for Justice and how to join or support NCAJ, please visit our website at www.ncaj.com.